Hello, and welcome to the Crime Shark Podcast. And I'm your host, Baby Shark. So, if you haven't noticed, there's been a bit of a gap between my last episode and this one. I'm truly sorry that I didn't get this out sooner, but life happened. I think one of the most important parts of podcasting is knowing when you need to take care of yourself, and it's not always an easy thing to do, especially because I don't want to let my listeners down. But I realize that my listeners really want what's best for me and have zero issues with me taking care of myself. This episode had been recorded previously, but I didn't have the chance to edit it. Unfortunately, as some of you may already know, my grandfather passed away. It's been a tough week. I was lucky enough that my job gave me bereavement time, so I was able to head home to be with my family. We tried our best to keep our spirits up and remember all the good times. My grampy was the best, and he will be truly missed. I want to thank everyone who reached out and sent their condolences. It really meant a lot to me. Trust me, I don't have the words for the gratitude that I feel. The podcasting and true crime community is really an amazing thing. I had someone reach out and offer to edit this episode for me, and another person that reached out offering research assistance. I'm so grateful for the friends that I've gained through podcasting and true crime. You all have been so supportive and amazing during this difficult time. Thank you. Before I start this episode, I want to recommend another podcast, the Jess Nadine Podcast. Jess Nadine is an online health coach. She'll be one of the first ones to tell you that she's one of those weirdos who loves burpees. I love watching Jess's videos and following her on Instagram. She has a lot of energy and she's so fun and encouraging. She provides a lot of free content too. You can subscribe to be part of her progress project. It's more than just a workout routine and meal plan ideas. She's actually created this huge support and accountability system. She shares her clients' progress constantly, and I promise you it's not like she's just sharing the same person over and over again. So this is something that definitely works for all types of people. Aside from fitness and healthy eating, Jess really wants to help people feel comfortable in their own skin and shine like the little hot tamales they are. One of the latest episodes talked about quitting and provides some ways to stop quitting on ourselves. Progress is hard, especially in fitness and health. That stuff doesn't come easy. If we show up for ourselves and we don't quit, there will be progress. Any kind of progress, no matter how big or small, is still progress. And don't we owe it to ourselves? I haven't signed up for her progress project yet, but the more I read about it and the more results I see, I really think I might. Plus, she provides a lot of at-home workouts, which is great for a recluse like me. Anyway, let's get back to crime business. I want to thank everyone who's given me ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet, please consider doing so. It really helps get the podcast noticed. And if you write a review, you'll probably get a shout out on the show. One of my favorite reviews from the last week is from Crime Podcaster. It's titled, Every Week is Crime Shark Week. They wrote, What a great podcast with a unique take on true crime. This host takes a great White shark-sized bite out of cold cases. It's a good podcast. Subscribe today. Shark! 
Thank you, Crime Podcaster. I love the review. It made me feel good, and it gave me a good laugh. So now that I have an entire one page of my script dedicated to random ramblings, let's finally get into today's case. Just outside the city of Buffalo, New York, sits the village of Kenmore. Kenmore is in the southern part of the town of Tonawanda. The village has a population of almost 15,500 people. Overall, Kenmore is fairly small. It's a 1.4 square mile village that borders North Buffalo. Kenmore has received a lot of praise. In 2011, Buffalo Business First named Kenmore the highest rated community in western New York. In 2009, the American Planning Association named Kenmore one of the top 10 great neighborhoods in the entire United States. It's probably so great because it's where I live. I'm awesome, right? Okay, so maybe I wasn't living here when it received all its praise, but I'm sure it was all a ploy to get me to move here so that Kenmore could really live up to its name. Wolf Blitzer is actually from Kenmore. Hello, Wolf, if you're listening, which you're not, because why would you be? Also, I'm sorry that I had to Google to make sure you were still alive before I gave you a shout-out. Wikipedia lists various other people who are apparently from Kenmore, but I can't say any of their names are familiar. There is a painter named Jerry Ross. I wonder if he's related to Bob. Well, I checked. He's not. Sorry, Jerry. I'm just not as interested. Anyway, Kenmore is basically a quiet, nice place to live, with the convenience of being located right outside the city limits of Buffalo. I don't think Kenmore really has a high crime rate, at least not that I know of. A 1.4 square mile village with its own police force? Things are pretty safe. They're out there all the time, giving speeding tickets. There's a radio announcer who always says, And for God's sakes, don't speed in Kenmore. They'll get ya. But, you know, anyway, that's not to say that crime never happens in Kenmore. Because they do, and they definitely have, and that's exactly what today's episode is about. In the fall of 1985, 17-year-old John Justice Jr. was starting to plan out attending college. Justice was described as a shy honor student. Due to his academic success, he had his sights set on Harvard or Yale. This is where he wanted to go to college. He hoped to study marine biology or chemical engineering. But college came with a daunting realization that it had to be paid for somehow, and it wasn't likely that John's parents were going to be able to help him. Albeit a bright student, John was also described as emotionally unstable, which isn't too out of the ordinary for a teenager. Teenage years are turbulent for a lot of people, but John's emotional unstableness was more than what some might call just a phase. It was apparent that John's frustrations had reached a level of intolerance. John Justice Jr. was the son of John Justice Sr., and Mary Justice. John Sr. had been a high school dropout who moved to the Buffalo area from Shelbyville, Indiana. He worked at the now-closed Tonawanda Coke plant. Now, 
that's not the kind of Coke you're thinking of. Well, it's not Coca-Cola, and it's also not cocaine, if that's what you were thinking. It's foundry Coke. Coke is a kind of fuel mainly used in the industrial environments, specifically for iron ore smelting. After numerous EPA violations, the Tonawanda Coke facility finally closed its doors for good in April of 2018. John's mother, Mary, worked sanding bathroom vanities and was later a swing shift worker for the DuPont Company. In their free time, Mary and John enjoyed bowling, but the justices weren't strangers to the local police department. Police were often there for one of two things, breaking up domestic fights between Mary and John Sr., or the neighbors complaining about Mark Justice, John's younger brother. Mark was definitely what you would call a problem child, the kind of shithead little kid that, according to People magazine, made fun of his elderly neighbor who had lost his larynx to cancer. Mark also once crashed a skateboard through a storefront window. Mary and John Sr. were both emotionally unavailable people. A former co-worker called Mary depressed, and John Sr. was described as being emotionally closeted. This doesn't really set the stage for either John Jr. or Mark to be emotionally well-rounded individuals. It seems that while Mark acted out more, John instead turned to his studies his best friends being his computer and his books. It was September 16, 1985, around 3 in the afternoon, when Mark Justice arrived home from school. John attacked his brother from behind. Police reports indicate that Mark was stabbed eight times in the back with a five-inch hunting knife. John lied in wait for his mother to arrive home. He stabbed her too, pushed her down the basement steps, and stabbed her again. She was stabbed 14 times. John then changed his clothes and cleaned himself up. He had to leave to pick his father up from work. As his father entered the home first, John, too, attacked him from behind. His father was stabbed four times and died on the living room floor. Justice then poured himself a drink. An article I read said he had two glasses of Kahlua, creme de menthe, and orange juice. Now, I don't know if those were all mixed together in one drink, but it certainly sounds like the grossest drink on the planet. It's exactly what a 17-year-old boy who's never drank anything before would make after raiding his parents' liquor cabinet. I feel like it's something people would dare each other to drink, like, hey man, you gotta try this. A friend and I used to sit at the bar and look at all the liquors and try to think of the grossest drink combinations. We would obviously never drink them or anything. We would just share what we think the grossest idea was. And Kahlua, creme de menthe, and orange juice, well, that's grosser than anything we ever imagined. After two glasses of this horrible drink choice, John grabbed a razor blade and cut both of his forearms but he didn't follow through with killing himself. Desperate for another way out, he got into the family car and started speeding down the street. On Military Ave, he crashed into the rear of a car stopped at a light. He was going 50 miles per hour. This was another attempt at suicide, but instead of John killing himself, he actually killed the person in the car that he crashed into. 
Wayne Wan was the 22-year-old driver of the car that John crashed into. He was killed instantly, while John only had minor injuries from the accident. When police arrived on the scene, John immediately began confessing, I killed my family. I killed my family, he shouted. But police were confused because John was the only passenger in the car. They had no idea he was talking about the horrors that lay waiting at the Justices Mang Avenue home. Their home on Mang Avenue is literally less than a block away from the police station. So police didn't have very far to go for their investigation. It's actually a house I pass frequently. It's always so chilling to think of the crimes that happened there that fateful night. The media attention of the case was typical. One headline read, Kenmore suspect had bright future. Because apparently, when they're talking about crimes, we have to focus on the good. Like the media trying to say Brock Turner had such a promising future. Also typical of the media at the time of the murders, it was believed that Justice could have been a member of a satanic cult. There was an abandoned grain elevator called Snakeland. This was a notorious party location where teenagers allegedly worshipped Satan. Satanic panic was real. If someone decides to kill their whole family, it certainly must be in the name of the Dark Lord, Satan himself. Right? Hail Satan. I mean, I wasn't around to tell you what Snakeland might have been, but my guess is it was probably just a place to party and people painted some devilish graffiti and then other people jumped to conclusions that there was a satanic cult. But who knows? Maybe it was really some kind of cult. But if there was one, John Justice probably wasn't part of it. According to People magazine, John Justice told Dr. Rasmussen he killed his mother because she was against him for everything he ever wanted to do. And he killed his brother and father out of love so they wouldn't feel hurt when he and his mother were gone. John's anger had likely stemmed from his mother's refusal to help him pay for college. She had told John that she and his father had worked for everything they had and that he could too. Allegedly, she wasn't even willing to pay a penny towards his schooling. John had the opportunity to volunteer for a Buffalo State University research project, but instead his mother insisted he take a paying job. When school started, Justice worked at a local grocery store. His working hours interfered with a school club called It's Academic. This was a team that competed against other teams in quizzes. I think it's like a more educational version of trivia. They even competed on TV. But John needed to work to save money for school. The week before he killed his family, he asked for a list of 50 available college science scholarships. John was feeling hopeless, like his college dreams were unobtainable. What I really don't understand about this case is why he felt like his parents owed him something. Why was he so focused on getting help from them for college tuition? I don't know what student loans were like in the 1980s, but he probably could have easily gotten student loans. 
Sure, no one wants student loans, but if it's in between taking a loan or not going to college, I guess you just take the loan. Especially with the degrees that John was looking at. It seems like he would have easily found a career after college that would allow him to pay back his student loans. I know student loans suck. Trust me. I think I'm going to be paying mine off until I'm like 45. It's not like the justices were a very well-to-do family. They made ends meet, but were by no means wealthy. It's very possible that his parents wouldn't have been able to help him with college even if they wanted to. It's common for family annihilators to resent one person in the family for whatever reason and then kill the entire family as a way to save them from the pain and suffering of losing that loved one. Justice was charged for all four murders, but he was eventually found not responsible by reason of insanity for the murders of his father and brother. He was convicted of second-degree murder for the deaths of his mother and the neighbor killed in the car accident. Justice's murder convictions were overturned during an appeal process, and he was found guilty of two manslaughter charges during retrial. Justice was sentenced to 30 years in prison. In 2005, Justice was granted parole. However, he violated that parole when he threatened to kill a worker at the Grace House group home. This was a halfway house where he was staying. When he failed at parole, he asked that he be allowed to complete his original sentence of 30 years. Justice was under the belief that if he finished his entire sentence, that at the end he would be a free man. However, that wasn't the case. When Justice was released from prison in September of 2015, he was committed to the custody of the Office of Mental Health. State Supreme Court Justice Stan Pritzker granted the state's request that Justice be mentally unfit for release. The court proceedings were sealed, so the judge's exact ruling is unknown. Justice's location is also unknown as it was never made public where he was being held. The Kenmore Police Department was never even told where Justice was going. They were only notified that he was being released from prison but committed to a mental health facility. An article from the Buffalo News quotes Justice's former defense attorney, John R. Nutrino, as saying, He functions with high intellect, which runs parallel to a devastating mental disease. Justice may or may not ever be released from civil confinement. It all depends on his periodic evaluations of mental health and whether he presents a danger to the public or himself. It seems as though he thought when he resubmitted himself to finish out his original sentencing that at the end he could just walk free that he wouldn't have to worry about being monitored, but instead he'll now remain at a mental health facility for an unknown amount of time, possibly the rest of his life. I'm not sure what happens if he ever is released from the facility. Do they notify the public? Is he still monitored after that? I'm not really sure how that would work. 
He did finish his sentence, so it's not like parole where he would have to constantly check in. I didn't find many articles about the trial itself and Justice's insanity defense. I'm wondering if his mental condition had been previously diagnosed. Were there warning signs? Of course, after horrible events like this, you always want to ask, could this have been prevented? Or how can we prevent something like this in the future? So, that's the story of John Justice. I can't imagine what it was like for the Kenmore community at the time. I pass that house every morning on a walk, and it just seems so eerie and wild that this happened here. So that's it for today, folks. But before we go, I wanted to share with you a promo for one of my favorite podcasts. Please listen and subscribe to Our True Crime Podcast. Hi, this is Edward October for OctoberPodVHS.com, here to tell you what people are saying about our true crime podcast. A thread store in Arizona says, too much dribble and slang. These ladies obviously enjoy their own humor and sound high. Hey, at least they called you ladies. Benny from Idaho says, your topics are so appealing, but a three-person pod is difficult enough to follow without banter. Um, our true crime podcast only has two people? Wait, 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 wait. Where's the other 100 five-star reviews? Can somebody give me the five-star reviews? Okay, here we go. Much better. Luscious Lee says, stand up. Five stars. You girls are funny AF. I especially love the me and Mrs. Jones rendition you sneak into the recording. Cherry G 107 says, I struggle finding a new podcast, and so far, I've been hooked to you guys' podcasts. Keep up the good work. Thumbs up, thumbs up, smiley face. Our true crime podcast, two girls, one story, and lots of bad renditions of songs you love. Available on your favorite podcatcher. Go binge it today. Special shout out to the ladies of Our True Crime Podcast for sending me their promo. And really, check them out. It's an awesome podcast. They're hilarious. They tell stories I've never heard before. I love it. I highly recommend them. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to the Crime Shark Podcast, and I'll see you next time.